Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 286. Life ain't a dress rehearsal. There's just, there's just no point in wasting your time. We're here to live and, and get the most out of our lives, and, and I consider that my mandate. If it's not fun and not worthwhile, I'm not interested in doing it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYad.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free Filler Up book today at Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Neil Jaffe. Neil, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Indeed I am, Mark. All right. Great to have you here. Nice to be here. Thank you. Neil Jaffe is the president of Checkered Flag in Marina del Rey, California. Checkered Flag International was established in 1986. They're a group of dedicated car enthusiasts and classic car dealers who for the last 25 years have been sourcing and supplying quality West Coast classics, vintage sports cars, exotics, luxury, and American muscle cars to customers all around the world. They have an extensive contacts through California car community and can usually locate any classic sports or vintage car that's not already in their million-dollar inventory. Neil, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your business, your life, your interests, and, of course, your passion? for automobiles. Sure, Mark, yes. Just a, a little correction. It's now been nearly 30 years that we've been around. Oh, my gosh. An old bio. And a million bucks in inventory doesn't buy you much these days. Yes. So that's, uh, that's quadrupled or so. There you go. But, yes, I'm a, I'm a car nut, like probably anyone listening, and, and you too. And I grew up with a passion for cars, and I, a few was sort of seared into my childhood memory. And I got involved in a business called the Morris Minor Center straight out of school. And my dream always was to wind up in California and have access to the wonderful sort of classic cars that came out here in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And I always had an idea that they'd wind up back home. And that was essentially the basis of the business that we started here in 1986. Mm -hmm. Uh, We acquired a lot of interesting classic cars, and there was a huge demand that uh, emanated from Europe that we did our best to supply. And that's really the business that I've been running for the last nearly 30 years, is acquiring interesting classic sports cars and shipping them to Europe by selling them here to Europeans, mainly dealers, who come back for refills every few months. (laughs) That's always nice. Well, in our pre-show chat, I was joking because Neil and I started talking about cars, and of course we realized, oh, we've got a show to do here. We better better get to it. But it's so cool, the cars that you guys handle, what's going through your hands, you understand the market. And we'll learn a little bit more about you and your business as we move along here. But I always like to start 
by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Neil, take the wheel. It's interesting. I scratched my head when you asked me that. And when I first started here at the Checkered Flag, there was a, I had a partner. And he always used to say to me, life ain't a dress rehearsal. <laughs> and it's a little ironic because he ended up drowning in the harbor at Marina Del oh Rey drunk. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. At 46 years old. And he kind of did piss most of his life away. But I do firmly concur with that you know, rather simple ethos. Yes. But uh, there's just no point in wasting your time. We're, we're, we're here to live and, and get the most out of our lives, and, and I consider that my mandate. And, you know, if it's, uh, if it's not fun and not worthwhile, I'm not interested in doing it. It sounds like you've figured out how to wrap your passion into your vocation, which is what Cars yeah is all about. If you take that quote, life is not a dress rehearsal. Could you maybe talk a little bit about how you've incorporated that into your life now around cars and your business? Sure. It For me, it's, I had a couple more sort of revelationary experiences and some of not terribly happy ones, but they've all led me to the conclusion that life should be fun. We shouldn't be too hard on ourselves we shouldn't take things too seriously. We shouldn't sweat the small stuff. And certainly for me, that the business has to make sense. For years, I was mired in overhead. And, and I really do believe you have to allow yourself to be successful. I was more of an enthusiast than a businessman for many years. And we were really operating this business from rent payments to rent payments and never really allowed ourselves to grow or flourish or be successful. Mm. And with my latest epiphany, I decided that that was no longer acceptable. If I was just going to live hand to mouth or just use my business for a lifestyle or to pay the bills, I might as well do it from home or, or just from a warehouse somewhere not from this huge overhead situation that I find myself in. Mm -hmm. So primarily, it's got to make sense financially. And another facet to this is that I'm only going to do it if it's fun. And just in saying that, it sort of allowed me to really enjoy what I do. I love cars. And a lot like dog owners, I love classic car people for the most part. There's a new sort of genre of uh, classic car collecting, which I'm not terribly on board with, where it's become more about the numbers than the passion. And in a lot of ways, it's taken out the real collector, because a lot of these guys really did have such a pure passion for cars. They're not really the kind of businessmen that accrue the money required to own a lot of them. And there's a little bit of a sadness in that. Yes. Um, but, you know, and this is going to sound very arrogant, but I, I really don't suffer fools very well anymore. I don't, <laughs> you know, you get a lot of guys that come in and instead of asking you a question, they sort of interrogate you mm. and they're waiting for the wrong answer or they don't wait for your answer and they talk over you and, you know, and, and fire the next 
hard to answer question at you. I'm not looking to pass a test with any of these people. If somebody sees a car that I have that they want, and they don't, you know, they don't have to kiss my ass. They they just have to be pleasant, and it makes it makes it so much easier for everyone else to just have a pleasurable experience. I'm not looking to take advantage of anyone. And I don't want anyone to kind of put the squeeze on me either. And and again, that's one of those sort of revelational things that just in, in understanding that, life seems to be a lot easier. <laughs> well, I think we could have a whole show on that topic alone and the topic of what the car market is doing now with speculators and driving prices up and driving collectors out of the market. But we'll move on because some of that is so painful. I don't even want to go there today, but... Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about what instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Yes, it's a number of things. I mean, I think you have to have the right sort of uh, genetic predispositions. But it started with my father, who was a geneticist with six children. And in England, although it's a lofty sounding title, it's not very well paid. And he learned to supplement his income by going off to the car auctions and buying cars. And he was, a, he was a bit of a car nut, so he loved the old Jags and anything weird and interesting, Mini Cooper S's. He supplemented his income quite well with them, and he used me as a kid, really as free labor, to uh, <laughs> drive a car back without a driver's license, 30 or 40 miles with no wipers in the rain. Oh, goodness. <laughs> he, he was very irresponsible, but he, uh, you know, I love my dad, and he sowed the seed for me. Yeah. It was, I never, I just didn't have any vocational ambition at all, really. I don't know if gravitated, I evolved into just being a full-time car guy from having a passion from it. It wasn't really, there wasn't a thought process. It was just, you know, what I did. And, uh, you know, as a result, I suppose I just got better at it over the years. I've heard that from many of my guests, that relationship with their father in the garage or in the case of your dad buying and selling cars. And look, now you're doing the same thing. So, uh, yeah, those genetics definitely came down through the gene pool in some way. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood, get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced in your career or your life along the way, something that really pushed you. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that? And even more so, what did you learn from it? Oh, where to start? I've had a few challenges. Really, I suppose a very pivotal point was I got sober in uh, 1980. 1985. Mm. And that's where I met my partner who at the time had the original checkered flag. And he's the fellow I alluded to that died uh, in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, he never really got fully sober. But I got sober and started this business and have been lucky enough to stay sober for the nearly 30 years now. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, I suppose it's when I started to take my life a little more seriously and and think about a business. The other stuff that I was talking about, about, you know, um, just deciding that it was important to me to do 
what I enjoyed doing and I wasn't going to waste any time occurred in 2006 when my son died. And uh, that was uh, an experience I didn't think I'd be able to move um, through. And uh, he he died through drug abuse and, and, and um, he was 26 years old and it, it was, you know, clearly a painful um, experience, but one that I, having come the other side, if I don't know if that's the right term, I don't think you ever get the other side of it, but to, to learn how to function, I really had to, or found myself reprioritizing my whole existence, and and so this is why I've I've come to this sort of fairly simple philosophy that works very well for me, and you know, and and I I'm not a hedonist. Well, maybe I am, but it isn't. It sounds a terrible simplification to say if it ain't fun, don't do it. But I really insist on not living in drama not causing drama for people with something I do to them or sell them and just sort of treating people as you want to be treated and elevating life to a level where it isn't ground down by, you know, the mundaneness of, of living, which it so simply can, so easily can be. Yes. Well, well, First and foremost, thank you for sharing an incredibly personal story of challenge and tragedy. The great thing about what you've shared here is it helps those of us who look at challenges in our life realize, wow, maybe our challenges aren't so great compared to what you've been through, and there is a way to get through it and out the other side. I think you have a lot you can share with other people, most definitely to help them through their challenges and and rough points, and help them see life in a very, very unique but uh, enlightened way. So I thank you for sharing that. You're welcome, and you're very kind. You know, and I think most entrepreneurs will tell you that uh, a challenge is is really, you know, just an opportunity. Yes. Um, and it's up to us to rise to the occasion. Yes, very much so. I've always said there are there are no problems; they're just challenges to overcome. Let's yep. shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share with us one of those entrepreneurial aha moments, a time when the headlights come on, illuminated your way for a new idea or a direction that you had, and, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. I've got a good friend who's a very knowledgeable man, and he's a bit of a titan in, in the world of business, and he was always telling me to define what I did and that I think he felt that looking at the checkered flag it was a little too uh, the message was a little too scrambled in that I think he felt that we were doing too many cars and you know my my counterpoint to him was well you know it's great but you can't really just go specialize in you know 190 SLs or air-cooled Porsches because we're now facing a, a fairly serious dwindling supply as so many of these cars get exported. But what I did take from that was that I shouldn't buy every new, I mean by new modern car that gets waved under my nose. 
I hitherto, and to some extent still am, a big deal junkie. And when I get offered something, it's very hard to say no, and it all becomes about a price. And if I sense a profit or an opportunity to learn about this type of car at the same time as having fun and driving it, I tend to jump at it. And I've had to sit on my hands a little more <laughs> and try and uh, nudge my inventory back towards what is clearly definable as classic cars. Yes. Ah. So I would say that's, that's, a, that's a big factor. Yeah, and I owe him a credit for that. You know, there's uh, there's so many golden nuggets in what you've dropped there, but one of them has to do with who we surround ourselves with and taking advice from others and receiving that advice and listening to others, being aware of what they're telling us. And you're very fortunate to have a friend like that. He constantly reminds me of that fact and tells me that there's lots of people who willingly pay for it. Yes. But I get it for free. <laughs> you're fortunate. Those mentors are very valuable, definitely. How about proudest moments in your career and your business? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular you can share with us that stands out for you? Um, I was thinking about that, and I don't really know. I mean, obviously, the proudest moments, the birth of my, my son, the birth of my daughter. But in business, I, what makes me proud, you know, it's going to sound a little syrupy. I mean, I love it when somebody buys a car sight unseen and they get it and it exceeds expectations. Oh, yes. And thinking a little beyond that, my same friend, mentor, uh, asked me to find a, a car for a, a very good friend of his, and and I um, I found a Rolls Cloud Two, which we prepared and, and sold. And, nice. And then that was one of those cars that exceeded expectations for his friend. And that, to me, I mean, I made a... a somebody I didn't know very happy, but, but more importantly, somebody who put their faith in me enough to say, you know, this guy will take care of you and you'll get what you hope you're going to get. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, it's just so weird. That should be, you know, a low bar these days, but it isn't. It's a high bar, it seems to me, for people to get what they'd bargained on getting because there's just so much ambiguity and just outright sort of misdescription. And, uh, you know, it, the, I'm, I'm getting off on another subject here, <laughs> so I should probably leave that one alone. You for know, a ethics, integrity, yes, in short supply, seemingly less and less supply these days. So those are definitely things to be proud of, absolutely. And especially in the used car business, although we we put a quote around used cars when it comes to collector cars and classics and things like that. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And perhaps you could share a memory with us that you had with that car. I can't remember my first car that I got terrifically excited about because I always get excited when I get a car. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember finding a guy, I was walking a dog and in my neighborhood in Santa Monica, and I bumped into an old boy, and uh, he told me how much he loved to work on cars. And I said, oh, you should have seen, been here last week. I had a Lamborghini Miura. Mm. And he said, oh, my friend has one of those. And uh, I said, do you think it would be for sale? And he said, yes, I do. So I called this guy, and he was ancient. And I met him somewhere in Santa Monica, 
and we set off to see his Lamborghini. And it took him about two hours to find the garage that it was parked in. Oh, my gosh. Uh, when we got there, it was covered in crap, and it was a bright orange P400 Mayura. Oh. And it wasn't running, and I, I bought it for $27,500. Uh. And I think in, in 90 days, that car had become, it was just at the beginning of the escalation of the market yeah. in the sort of late 80s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who knew what the market value was, but that was about what it was worth. And then 90 days later, it was worth about 300 grand. Uh, and oh, they God. languished. And the last one I had, we sold about, uh, oh, two months ago. It was an S, but uh, we sold it to an English comedian. It needs restoration, and we got a million bucks for it. Wow. So, you know, wow. those those are kind of out of sight now, and I, I don't imagine I'll, I'll ever own another one. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite cars. Definitely beautiful. How about, you know, you've bought and sold a lot of cars, so this might be a tough question, but is there one that you let go that you personally wish you could have back in your garage? One car I really regret selling, and it's only because I know that it didn't really get enjoyed or used the way you'd like to think it would. It was an Aston Martin DB5, and mm. it was in a light sort of seafoam green. And I remember driving it along with a DB4 that I'd sold to my salesman up to Monterey, and it was the featured car, and we both got to drive it around Pebble Beach for a lap, and I drove it home. And then subsequently, somebody introduced me to uh, Michael Hutchins from In Excess, mm -hmm. and uh, I got him and the rest of his band to follow me home where my wife was, and, and we went in, and the car was in the garage, and I showed it to him, and he bought it immediately. And for about two years off and on, I'd uh, pick up the phone, and I'd call someone or him and say, hey, you know, you ever pick up this car you bought? <laughs> and ultimately, he just wasn't a car guy. Yeah. He just thought it might be a cool car to buy. And ultimately, he picked it up. And really, ultimately, he's the guy that unfortunately um, self-asphyxiated himself oh, from gosh. a hotel room door. And uh, that was the end of, of him. And, and you know, I, I never did find out what happened to the car. I'm sure it just ended up you know, disappearing somewhere. Hopefully somebody he loved got got it and yeah. you know, but who knows. Wow. I've got all my stories seem to be laced with tragedy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's starting to make me feel quite morose. <laughs> well here's another one for you. How about a vehicle that you purchased and you probably have a few of these in your past too that you shortly thereafter said, What on earth was I thinking? It's a good question. I have lots of cars um, that I've regretted buying, but generally it wasn't so much what was I thinking. It was, why did I believe this guy? Mm. Um, you know, everyone who's, who's bought cars uh, online has a story like this. Yep. You know, it's a bit like giving birth. You know, you, straight afterwards, I imagine, at least, uh, <laughs> you say, that I'll never do that again. And then, you know, you forget that kind of pain. Yes. And every now and then, I'll for, take a foray into eBay and buy a car that looks like a deal. And sometimes it is. And sometimes it's just the car that it's supposed to be, and I'm happy with it. And the market will take the value up, or I want it for myself, or whatever. But quite often, it's that sort of misdescription by omission and you can see that 
you know, whatever profit margin you thought you had is going to be more than eaten up by the work that wasn't uh, given, you know, that you weren't led to believe it needed in the description. Uh, Or it's just a fundamentally horrible car. I hate hit cars. I hate rusty cars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when that's not disclosed to you. And really, that all becomes about expectations. And and that's that's another subject, too. But, you know, I think it's very important that when you buy a car, it meets the expectations that you've been led to believe are, you know, justifiable. And when you sell a car, you don't over-describe it, you know. In fact, if anything, under-describe it a little bit. So when somebody gets it, it hits the... It hits the note of truth that, <laughs> yes. you know, that they can go, yeah, this is, this is what I bought. This is great. Absolutely. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now there at Checkered Flag that really has you excited and fired up? You know, the, we used to ostensibly buy and sell cars. That was, that was what we did. And, and we would send cars out for recon if they needed one thing, if, you know, if they needed trim or paint. or Obviously, we make everything safe, so most of them needed some mechanicals. Nowadays, if something is fundamentally good, I have to make it as good as I can because I can't just go out and buy another car. So I sort of have to ma- not necessarily maximize on, on each deal, but get more out of it, add value. Because the, everyone knows what stuff's worth. You have to pay what it's worth. You can't just make it up with volume by buying more cars. So you have to add value. And right now, I've got a lot of cars um, in recon, in paint, V12, E-type roadsters. I've got a, a few 280 SLs I'm rebuilding the engines of. And my favorite car at the moment is a beautiful 904 Blue uh, one year only, 1971 Mercedes 280SE 3.5 convertible. Ooh, beautiful. And, and 71's the only year for the V8. They're a car much like a 993 Porsche Turbo or a BMW Z8 Alpina. Every billionaire wants one. And there isn't really enough to go around. I think they only made 1,500 3.5 convertibles. And it's sort of, it's it's the great wealthy non-show-offs car they drive like a modern car but they look classic yes they're easy to fix and they're they're totally a form follows function car there's no unnecessary embellishments there's no top mechanism you know power driven top mechanism to break they're just a beautifully simple well-built car they they're, they're absolutely the best car of their era and so I'm excited to do this car. It's fundamentally excellent. I'm really just doing a cosmetic, you know, overhaul. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Yeah, definitely bulletproof cars for sure. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Neil. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, I guess I'd like to say I'd be an Aston Martin DB5 because <laughs> it's English and it's debonair and they're not so sort of tight they're a bit wallowy and and uh, uh you know not a not a perfect car but but a great it all comes together in a great package um i think you know a lot of people who know me would probably pick something a little more pedestrian to call me but <laughs> that would be my choice very nice great vehicle 
So Neil, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Neil, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Wow. I think it was what I said earlier about, you know, defining yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a car dealer, um, I don't really have anything else to add to that, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's a great, great answer. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success? I'm not a disciplined man, but I'm at work by 5.30 or 6 every morning. And it enables me to get a lot of the fundamental stuff out of the way so we're ready for business when my salesmen come in, the secretaries, the mechanics. Everyone knows what's in front of them and what they have to do. And I can also deal with my European emails and my queries and phone calls from um, the East Coast as well. So it's really worked out well for me. I, I, the evenings don't hold much for me. <laughs> I've heard that from many of my guests. Early to bed or early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Is there a book that you've perhaps read recently you think the Car Shout listeners would enjoy reading? Yes. I mean, I, I love novels, and I don't read many books related to, to business or the car business. And I'm not a great magazine reader either. But one magazine I really like is Sports Car Market, Keith Martin's magazine. Yes. It, it's factual. There's a lot of bullet points. I really like reading the um, analysis of the auctions and the sale prices of cars and what they think those prices mean in relationship to the market. And I think they're spot on. I think they know how to call a car very well. And it's a great way to soak up some really good current information and put you in the loop if you're not in it. Yes, I enjoy Keith's magazine. I've been a subscriber for years. He's a past guest here on Cars, yeah. And uh, in fact, this weekend, yesterday, I took a little time off, sat onto my deck in the sun and and read his uh, most recent edition that had a beautiful going Mercedes on the front of the magazine. So great option, yes. Listeners, you can find links to these resources at carsyad.com slash Neil Jaffe. And Neil's last name is spelled J-A-F-F-E. All right, Neil, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy, especially for a guy like you that has had his hands on so many vehicles. If you could only have one collector car in your garage... But don't worry about the cost, because today I'm going to write the check. 
What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, I hate to repeat myself once again, but I think it might have to be a 3.5 convertible. Mm. I could take friends in it. It wouldn't break down. It doesn't look like you're trying too hard or trying to rub anyone's nose in your success, unlike some of the very valuable cars that are so clearly very expensive. And it's just a great all-round car. And, you know, I mean, obviously the temptation is to go for the most expensive thing you can think of. But, um, you know, it's somebody once said, show me a beautiful woman and I'll show you somebody who's tired of sleeping with her. (laughs) And the reason I'm in the car business is because however great a car is, I'm kind of over it in, you know, a period of time, whether it's a day, a week, a month, or a year. And so I know that even that 3.5, if I just used it as average transportation, you know, it would be okay as long as I could have my other stuff as well. (laughs) Well, you've chosen a beautiful car, and I think for a great reason. So uh, I love that. Neil, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and with the Car Jow listeners. Would you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the coast highway in that Mercedes 3.5 convertible? Well, yes, and, and thank you, Mark, for the opportunity. I've, I've really enjoyed myself, too. And the advice I would try and impart is I, I, this is a great time to be alive, and it's a great time to have a classic car. I just don't get the people that would buy a new Lamborghini or a new Ferrari that loses them 50 or 100 grand the first year. One of the great things about classic cars is you get out of the depreciation cycle. I always say if it goes up, that's a bonus. You should buy what you love and you should enjoy it. But, you know, if you're a middle-aged guy like me, you know, don't succumb to the wife's demands for a new kitchen. Or if you've done that, <laughs> you know, take care of yourself. Buy a car you love. It's not so self-indulgent. It's a, it's a great therapeutic thing to do. It's a healthy hobby or obsession even. You know, it's still, you know, not gambling or shooting drugs or having loads of girlfriends will get you in trouble. It's, it's a good, healthy pastime and it'll make you feel better about yourself and life. <laughs> well, I think there are a bunch of Cars Yow listeners right now, guys that are recording this and sending the audio version of your comments off to their spouses. So great advice. I hope so. <laughs> What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, my store is called The Checkered Flag. We're in Marina Del Rey, Los Angeles. Was spelt, ironically or not, uh, a way that nobody in America figures out. It's C H uh, E Q U E R E D F L A G, and that's obviously the English spelling. And uh, our um, email is sales at checkeredflag.com. Our website is www.checkeredflag.com. And you can call us on the phone anytime, 310-827-8665. We keep 100 classic cars in inventory at all times. Um, We sell about 30 cars a month. If we don't have it, there's a good chance we'll know where to get it. You know, I like to think that we're not the typical used car mercenary assholes and that we 
have a passion for what we do. And, you know, if you buy a car from us, you'll get what you hoped you were getting. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Neil's been so kind to share at CarsYad.com. Just put Neil, N-E-I-L, in the search bar and his serial notes page will pop up with all these links. And while you're at it, check out his website, check out the cars. And if you're in Southern California, go visit him. I think you'll have a great time. Neil, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.